is that often we try to understand and deduce who God is based on who we are. Each of us has our own faults, our own inconsistencies, our own shortcomings, our failures. And if we're not careful, we begin to understand God based on who we are, and we wind up with a God that looks alike like us, and that affects the way we relate to Him. Probably nowhere is this more obvious than in our view of God's forgiveness. You see, the way that you and I forgive is very different from God's forgiveness. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. The way you and I forgive is very different from God's forgiveness, and that's a good thing, right? I mean, when you begin to think about how we forgive, let me give you a few defining statements about the way we forgive. First of all, our forgiveness is available, but not yet, right? It's available, but but not yet. Let, let Let me see how you behave. Let me see how you respond. Let me see how you carry yourself. Let me see what your attitude is, and then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to... It's available, but, but not yet. Let's not get in a hurry. And if we're not careful, we can think that's how God forgives. And you see how that affects the way you relate to it. You're constantly living in performance mode, thinking that His forgiveness is conditional upon your behavior. See how it's dangerous to deduce who he is based on who we are and how that can shape the way that we relate to him? Here's another defining statement about our forgiveness. It's our forgiveness is filed, not forgotten. You know what I mean by that, right? Oh, I forgive you, but I got it. And when I need it, I'm dragging the file back out, right? Oh, I'm I'm forgiving you. Don't worry about it. No problem. No worries. But if we ever get close to this again, the file drawer is coming open, and I am pulling out the record. Now, that's how we forgive sometimes, right? You see how that affects the way we relate to him when we think he forgives like we forgive. We think he's got the record and he's holding it over us. Let me give you another defining statement about the way we forgive. It's limited. So don't push it. I'm forgiving you. This time. But how many of us have people that have crossed that line and we've run out? 
our forgiveness has been exhausted. Here's what I know today. There are some of you sitting in this room right now. And you are struggling in your relationship with God. Because you have deduced a God based on who you are. And you don't understand Him for who He is. And you're carrying that today. You got that weight, that guilt, that shame. At Hope, through the summer, we are studying through the book of Psalms together. I hope that you are journeying along with us. Through the book of Psalms. We've given you a daily reading plan where daily we are reading the Psalms together. This morning was Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, the psalmist said, Praise is becoming to the upright. Great psalm. You know what that means? The word becoming means it looks good. Here's what that said it looks good on us when we praise. When we come together and worship and praise together like we've done this morning, we lift our hands to God and we celebrate His greatness in song and in praise. You know what God says? Mmm, that looks good. We're reading through the Psalms together. We're journeying through these Psalms. And I hope that you're doing that. If you're not along with us, if you're not reading along yet, you can go to our website. You can download the reading guide. And you can begin today reading right along through Psalms. And then every weekend we're teaching out of some of the Psalms that we've been reading together. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. It's the psalm that you read yesterday morning, if you're reading along with the reading plan, or yesterday at some point. In Psalm 32, we read a psalm of David. But before I read the psalm, you have to know the story where the psalm came from. Here's the story. David had become king of all Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel, if you want to sometime read the backstory, read all of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David finds himself a little bit arrogant, enjoying the conquest of being king, because the, 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 the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel opens with this line, while the kings were out to battle, David is in his palace sitting up on his rooftop just kind of looking out over his kingdom. So he wasn't where he should have been to start with. And there's a whole sermon there we don't have time to get into. But his men are out fighting a battle against other kingdoms and David's just kind of sitting back admiring the glory of his kingdom. And he's up on his rooftop and he's looking over the kingdom. And as he's looking over the kingdom, he notices on a rooftop below him there's a woman there who is bathing and she catches David's attention I mean she catches David's attention and he's captivated by this woman 
to the point that he has his servants go and bring her into his household. And David has a night of affair with this woman who's not his wife. This woman who's a married woman to a man that is one of David's mighty men who's out fighting on the battlefield for him. David thinks in one night he can have this night of passion and then kind of sweep it under the rug, but he gets word that this woman has become pregnant with his child. So trying to cover up his sin, David concocts a plan ultimately to have Uriah, her husband, killed. He has him sent to the front lines of battle so that he knows in the next conflict... Uriah will be murdered and then he can bring Bathsheba in as his wife and try to cover up what's going on. And that's exactly what David does. David, this great man of God in the Bible in a moment of weakness, has Uriah put on the front lines and Uriah is murdered. And he brings Bathsheba in as his wife. And throughout the entire pregnancy, the baby's born. David is living with the guilt and the shame of his sin. About a year later, it's now 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan, the prophet of God, comes to David. And he, he kind of eases the tension by telling David a little story about a man that is very rich and has all kinds of sheep, has herds of sheep, And this very wealthy man with herds of sheep has a guest come into town. And he wants to feed this guest from a lamb. And instead of going out to the herds of sheep that he owns, there's another man that lives close who only has one sheep. And this one sheep is like the family pet. I mean, it lives in the house with them. The kids love it. They, they love this little sheep. And instead of taking one of all the herds of his own sheep, he, he goes and he takes the one sheep of this other man and he kills that sheep and he serves that sheep to his out-of-town guest. David is king says to Nathan, you tell me who that man is because I'm going to bring him to justice. (laughs) The man of God looks at him and he says, thou art the man. David, it's you. And in that moment, David is crushed with the weight of his sin. And he sits down and he writes Psalm 51 that you're going to read in a couple of weeks. And in Psalm 51, David pours out a confession of his sin to God. You know Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. David cries out to God and he experiences the forgiveness of God. After a year of guilt and shame, David embraces the forgiveness of God. And after writing Psalm 51, David writes Psalm 32. Let's look at it. How blessed 
blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy. What's he talking about? That year of being away from God, that year of carrying the guilt of his sin, my, my, my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let me tell you what happened to David. David got his joy back. Because David began to experience the forgiveness of God. I want to ask and answer some questions this morning about forgiveness. Specifically God's forgiveness. And Here's the first question I want to ask. What is forgiveness? It's an important question to ask because we have our definitions of what we think forgiveness is and it affects the way that we forgive other people. And if we're not careful, we'll let that become our definition of what God's forgiveness looks like. And, and unfortunately, it's a flawed definition of forgiveness. David, in this verse, this opening couple of verses, gives us three defining statements about forgiveness. It doesn't give us a complete definition, but it does give us some defining statements about forgiveness that I want to unpack for us so that we can have a better understanding of what God's forgiveness looks like. Here's statement number one. God's forgiveness removes the guilt of our Sin. Read that out loud with me. God's forgiveness removes the guilt of our sin. You see the verse? How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word transgression here is a Hebrew word that simply means rebellion. It's the idea of stepping across a boundary that has been defined. It's rebelling against authority. The word transgression here is really the picture when a little child looks up at mom and dad and the little child says, no. Right? We've all done that. We've all seen that in little children. We've experienced when the little child will look up at mom and dad having clearly defined a boundary and the little child says, no, I am not doing that, right? What is that? It's transgression. It's stepping across a boundary. Here's what we learn about David. He knew he had defied God's authority with Bathsheba. David understood that he had rebelled against God's law. David knew that he had stepped across God's boundary. David understood that he had shook his fist in the face of God and said, No! 
God, my way is better than your way. And David was living with the guilt of having transgressed against God. But David said, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word forgiven here is a Hebrew word that means to lift up, to carry up, to take away. David knew the guilt of transgression, but now he understood what it was to have his guilt lifted up and carried away by the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. When David wrote that phrase, how blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, he had to have in his mind the Day of Atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. The Day of Atonement in Jewish culture where once a year the high priest would make a sacrifice as a symbol of God's Messiah who would one day come and bring forgiveness to his people. The, the, the high priest would take two goats. The first goat he would take and on the altar he would sacrifice that goat. He would shed the blood of that goat as a symbol of the sacrifice that was required for our sin. But the second goat, the, the, the high priest would take the second goat and symbolize all the sins of all the people of Israel were placed on the head of that second goat and the high priest would lead that second goat out of the village, out of the city, out into the wilderness, never to be brought back into the fold again. It was a picture that through the sacrifice that God made, our guilt of sin had been taken away. How far does God remove the guilt of our sin from us? Well, let me show it to you in Psalm 103, verse 12. Look what it says. Look at this picture. As far as the, read it out loud, east is from the west. Now, remember when this was written. This was written several thousand years ago when the predominant view of society was the world was flat, right? So most people thought the world was flat. God, in his infinite wisdom who'd created the world, knew it wasn't flat. And God here said, as far as the east is from the west, not north and south. That's important. I'm going to point it out in just a minute. As far as the east is from the west, look what it says. So far has he removed our transgressions. What's that? Stepping across the line. Rebellion. The guilt of having defied God's law. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Why did he say east and west? Let me tell you why. Did you know if you leave here today and you start traveling north. Eventually you're going to be traveling south. You're going to get to the North Pole, and once you cross that pole, you're now coming south. The distance between north and south is a measurable distance. If God had said, I have as far as the north is from the south removed their transgressions from them, we could put a tape measure to that and know just how far he'd removed them. But he didn't say that. He said east and west. Why? Because you know what? You can leave this parking lot today and you can travel east. 
You know how long you can travel east? Forever. Until you decide to turn around and head west. Why? Because you can go east forever and ever. And what's he saying? Here's what he's saying. God in his sovereign grace has removed the guilt of our sin from us. And the distance is infinity. It is immeasurable. Here's what that means. He doesn't hold it against. That's why David said, how blessed is a man whose transgression is forgiven. Let me tell you a second thing David tells us. He says God's forgiveness covers the shame of our sin. Look at the verse. Whose sin is covered. The word sin here is a word that means to miss the mark at its Hebrew root. It's the idea of falling short of what is expected. And by using this word sin, it's interesting, David uses three different words, transgression, sin, iniquity, to describe. And all of these are showing you pictures of what David had been carrying for a year. First of all, he carried the guilt of rebellion against God. And now this word sin, it's the idea of falling short of what God expects, falling short of the law of God. And David has been carrying the shame Of not measuring up. David was ashamed. Because he didn't meet the standard of God. Like Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember what happened in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God? What's the first thing they did? They hid themselves. Why? Because when we sin against God. We're ashamed. David was ashamed. Listen to what he said. How blessed is he whose sin, oh, don't miss this, is covered. The word covered, it's a Hebrew word that means to conceal or to clothe or to cover up. Here's what it means. He has covered the shame of our sin. You see, when we see God's forgiveness through the lenses of how we forgive, here's what happens. Our flesh comes to us and says, Who are you? Who are you to think you have access into the presence of God? You ever have that? Feeling of being unworthy. I don't measure up. I'm ashamed of things that I've done, people that I've hurt, thoughts that I've had, words that I've said, and the shame of that. Drives you from the presence of God like Adam and Eve. You want to just hide away from God. Because you're just ashamed. Here's what David says. The forgiveness of God covers, conceals, 
hides away my shame so that I'm not viewed by my Father in heaven as somebody who doesn't measure up. He's covered me with His grace and He sees me as His loved child that is pleasing in His eyes. David said, how blessed is he whose sin is covered. The prophet Micah reveals the depths to which God has covered our sin. Look at Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Look at this on the screen. He said, who is a God like you? He's so overwhelmed by the forgiveness. Who is a God like you? Who pardons iniquity and passes over rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast. What's the next word? What about underline there? All their sins into the depths. Of the sea. You ever lost anything in the ocean? Listen, I've lost stuff in waist deep water in the ocean. You don't even know where it is. It's gone, right? The prophet says he didn't lose it in the shallows of the ocean. He didn't say he just covers it a little bit. He says he covers it with the depths of the oceans. Mount Everest is the highest peak. In the world, it's 29,000 feet tall. Oceanographers tell us that the depths of the oceans, as best as we can tell, go deeper than 36,000 feet. God has not just covered my sin a little bit. God has covered my sin with the depths of the ocean. Here's what that means. He doesn't see me like that anymore. And hey, don't miss that little word all. All means all in my past. All means all in my present. Oh, help us, Lord. All means all in my future. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hang on. Before that sidetracks you. Realize when Jesus died on the cross, all your sin was in the future. So if the cross is not sufficient for future sin, you're in real trouble. He has removed the guilt of our sin from us and he has covered the shame of our sin so that now we don't stand before him as sinners trying to do the best we can. We're unworthy. We're just a sinner saved by grace. No, I am a loved, accepted, righteous, forgiven child of the Father all because of the forgiveness of God. Let me give you a third statement. God's forgiveness wipes clean the record of my sin. Look at the verse. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute. Say that word. Impute iniquity. The word iniquity is the... Word for sin in the Old Testament that its Hebrew root carries the idea of something that's bent or crooked. 
It's the idea of twisting or perverting. David knew that he had twisted and perverted God's laws to serve his own wicked desires. And he felt the stain of that sin. But look what he said. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute. Say that word again. Impute. Why am I making that? Because it's an important word. It's an accounting word. It's an accounting word that means to keep a record of. My wife and I keep records for tax purposes. We have a bunch of boxes like this. This is not one of ours, but we have boxes like this where we keep several years' worth of records. Because if you ever get audited, you need to pull that box of records out and you need to be able to open that box and have the record of every transaction. That's, that's the accounting term, impute. We have imputed to our account a record of transactions in the past. A lot of people think that we all got a box up there with our name on it. July 1987. Let me see. Oh, yeah. October 1993. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you how I know we think this. Because we come in the presence of God. Lord, it's me again. Because we think he's up there going, oh, yeah. Here's this one. and Yep. Yep, we dealt with it there. Yep, we dealt with it there. Yep, we dealt with it here. Yep, Vance, what are we going to do this time, son? Let me tell you what this says. Here's what he says. I have no record of that. He doesn't remember our sin. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say he forgets it. If he forgot something, he'd cease to be God. He doesn't forget. Let me show you what he does. Look at it in Isaiah chapter 43. Look what it says. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sin. The word wipe out there, it's another accounting term. It's the idea of blotting out a debt. 
He says, I'm the one who does that. And here's what you need to know. I sovereignly and graciously choose to never remember that sin again. When you and I come into the presence of God and say, oh God, it's me again. He says again, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no record of that. I have wiped your record clean. That is what forgiveness is. Well, let's ask a second question. How is that possible? (laughs) I mean, doesn't that sound too good to be true? (laughs) God removes... Our guilt, God covers our shame, God wipes the record clean. How is that possible? Is it that God just decides out of his love to overlook our sin and our transgression And just forgive that out of his benevolence? No, listen to me. God, as loving and gracious and benevolent as he is, is also holy. And because God is holy, he cannot be in fellowship with sin. He cannot choose to just overlook it. He cannot choose to just sweep it under a rug. Because of the holiness of God, he will not ever just overlook our transgressions. It must be paid for. Then how? How is my guilt removed? How is my shame covered up? How, preacher? How is my record wiped clean? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. I want to read it to you. We read it about a year and a half ago in the book of Colossians, but I want to read it again because it is so profound. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. If you don't have your Bible open, look up on the screen, follow along, listen to these words. Paul says, When you were dead in your transgressions, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us. There it is in the New Testament. All, hey, praise God for that, past, present, future. All our transgressions. Every time we've stepped across. How did he do that? Verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having, listen, nailed it to the cross. What in the world is that talking about? Oh, I can't wait to tell you. Here's what that's talking about. It's talking about what was called the certificate of debt or the handwriting of the ordinances in the time of Jesus. In the Greco-Roman world, anytime anybody broke the law, the Greeks or the Romans, they were convicted of a crime. They were either put into prison or ultimately executed because of their crime. And when they were convicted, they would write out what was called the certificate of debt or the handwriting of the ordinances. And on that document, they would write everything they'd done to break the law. 
And when they were serving in prison, they would take that document and they would hang it over the prison cell so that anybody who walked by could immediately know what they were guilty. It declared their guilt. It brought them shame. It was a record that was written down of every way they'd broken the law of the Greeks and the Romans. But when they'd served their sentence... They would take that down off of the jail cell. They would give it to them. They would go and stand back before the judge or the magistrate. And they would give testimony that they'd completed their sentence for the crimes that they'd been found guilty of. And the magistrate would take their record. And on their record, he would stamp a Greek word. It was the word tetelestai. And it meant paid in full. Now, if it was somebody that was executed for a crime, remember when Jesus was crucified, they hung over him a a tablet that said king of the Jews. What was that? It was his certificate of death. They had found him guilty of, of being declared the king of the Jews, and that's what they were crucifying him for, was being king of the Jews. When somebody was crucified, they would then take their handwriting of the ordinances, and they would stamp it to Telestai, and they would give it to their family. And here's what would happen. If you were somebody who'd been found guilty of a crime and you were serving in prison and you'd completed your sentence and you'd stood before the magistrate and they'd stamp that, sometimes you'd be out in the public square and somebody would come up to you and go, wait a minute, I know you. You're that person who did this or that. You're that person who broke this law. What are you doing here? And they'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're right. You're right. That's who I was. But, but, but that's not who I am anymore. Let me prove it to you. And they could go get their handwriting of the ordinances, their certificate of debt, and they could bring it and they could show it to them. See here? Paid in full. That's not me anymore. Here's what Paul said. Every one of us had a certificate of debt where we had broken the laws of God. Every one of us had a certificate that declared our guilt before God. Every one of us had a certificate that declared our shame before God. Every one of us had a certificate that was a record of our sin against a holy God, and here's the reality, there was no penalty we could pay to ever remove our certificate of debt. But here's what he said, Jesus took our certificate of debt and he nailed it to his cross. Do you remember the last thing Jesus cried before he died? He said, it is what? Do you know what that Greek word is? Tetelestai. Paid in full. So so when the enemy comes and says, Oh, Vance, I know your guilt. Oh, Vance, I know your shame. Vance, there's a record. I can say, Oh, listen, hey, that may be who I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore because here's my certificate. And let me tell you what it says paid in full. I can experience the forgiveness of God because Jesus. Died for my sin, rose again from the dead as a testimony 
that God accepted his sacrifice for my sin that I can now be forgiven. Well, let me ask and answer one last question. I'm done. How do I experience God's forgiveness? If that's what it is and that's how it's possible, how do I experience it? Well, back in Psalm 32, David in verse 5 uses three words that unlock the key to experiencing the forgiveness of God. Look at verse 5 of Psalm 32. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You hear those three words? Acknowledge, did not hide, and confess. In the Hebrew language, is three words. First, the word acknowledge. It's a word that means to make known, to make public. Do not hide. It's the same word that was used in verse 1 and translated to cover. But here it's used in the negative, so it means to not cover up. It means to uncover it. To get it out in the open. The third word that he uses is the word confess. It means to, to agree with, to say the same thing about. All three of those words point us to one reality, and I want to put it on the screen. David is expressing the reality that the way to experience God's forgiveness is by getting honest with God about my sin. Now, there are two applications here. First of all, today... If you're not a Christian, if you've never experienced God's forgiveness, you've heard me today articulate and talk about the forgiveness that you can, the guilt is gone, the shame is covered, the record is clean. If you've never known that today, today, here's how you embrace God's forgiveness. You embrace it by getting honest with God about your sin. Let me read you a verse out of Luke chapter 24. Look what it says. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Here's the message of the gospel. Jesus did die for our sin. How do we get in on that? Repentance. Repentance is confessing. It's agreeing with God about my sin and turning from my sin and trusting Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. If you've never experienced God's forgiveness today, today you can be forgiven through the power of the gospel if you will get honest with God and acknowledge your sin to God and embrace his forgiveness by turning to his lordship but there's a second application here to believers you can enjoy God's forgiveness daily as you live honest with God about your sin here's what I want you to understand as a believer as a believer, I am forgiven. Past, present, future is done. But 
Also, as a believer, I need to daily embrace God's forgiveness. That's why in 1 John, John wrote these words. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. I love that. He's faithful. And righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, my sin is already forgiven in Christ. But I don't get to enjoy the freedom of walking in that forgiveness daily unless I live honest with God about my sin. It's done as far as its punitive effects in my life, as far as my standing before God in eternity. But my sin as a believer can hinder my fellowship relationship with God daily. And that's one of the warnings that David gives us here in Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4. Listen to what David said. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand. Have you been there? Child of God. What's he describing? Here's what he's describing. Conviction in the life of a Christian. When we know God and we're not embracing God's forgiveness and we're trying to hide our sin and rebel against God. Because listen, even as Christians, we can shake our fist in God. That's exactly who the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And yet he still rebelled against God and felt the shame and the conviction. And David said, my body was wasting away. The weight of sin. What do we do, believer? Here's what we do. You get honest. You drag it out in front of him and you agree with him. You're right, I'm wrong. See, when do you do this? Once, twice? No, daily. Listen, sometimes it's minute by minute. You just keep dragging it back out, Lord. God, I'm tired of my flesh. God, I'm sorry for the wickedness of my heart. Lord, I'm sorry for that thought. Lord, it's not your will for me. It's not best for me. God, you're right and I'm wrong and I drag it out here. Look what the verse verse said. When we do that, he's not only faithful to forgive that, he forgives us of all all the stuff we don't even know about. Stuff we don't even aware of. Then there's one final warning here to to unbelievers in verse 6. Look what he says. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. As long as you have breath in your body, the forgiveness of God is available to you. Let me tell you something. God's forgiveness is only available to us In this life. If we don't embrace God's forgiveness in this life. Then we spend eternity separated from God in the life to come. So there are two groups of people today that really need to respond. First of all, if you're here today and you're not a believer. You've never experienced. You've never embraced God's forgiveness. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. and We're going to worship God together. And as we do that. We're going to have some pastors down here at the front. And if you want to experience God's forgiveness today, if you want to know what it is to have your guilt 
removed and your shame covered and your record wiped clean because of Jesus. You can come take one of these pastors by the hand and say, today I need to be saved. I want Jesus. I want to be forgiven. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and show you how you can experience God's forgiveness today. But also today there are a lot of believers in the room who maybe you've gotten caught up in some sin. Maybe you've begun to dabble in some areas. And Today's the day it's time to get honest. Just get honest with God. Get it out there before him. We're going to open these altars up. Our pastors are here if you want to pray with them. Maybe there's another burden or something in your heart today and you just want a pastor to pray with you. They're here to do that today. But today, predominantly, two groups of people need to respond. Unbelievers that don't know Jesus, come embrace his forgiveness. Believers who know Jesus but are not walking with him, get honest with God and enjoy the forgiveness of God today and let God's word shape your understanding of who God is and what his forgiveness looks like.